Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. series and this one is about Christian conversations. It has arisen through many different conversations and prayerful discernments that have happened between our worship leadership team, our staff, various committees and boards here within the church, but especially in conversations that have happened with our church members and our church family and those outside of our communion. Because what we have experienced is that many of us are witnessing and in some ways been participants in conversations that are causing harm, that seem to be creating more and more of problems rather than helping us to resolve the ones that we would naturally have. So instead, we want to turn and see just what exactly the Bible can do to help us grow and to be illuminated in our search to emerge from the darkness of human sin and walk in the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And many times people will say to me, you know, I wish Jesus would just tell us exactly what to do. I agree with this. In fact, sometimes it can be a cumbersome thing to be gifted 66 books in our anthology of our Bible and trying to go through and find exactly what we should do. So many Christians, myself included, have said, I wish Jesus would have just talked about this. Well, Jesus talks about a lot of things. And one of the things that he does tell us is how we should talk to one another when we have a problem, an issue, or a struggle. And so today we're going to begin there. How do we handle something between two people? And Jesus was talking to his apostles, and he recognized that probably even in their midst, traveling around, scrounging for food, and having to be persecuted because you dare to follow Jesus probably led to many difficult painful conversations between the disciples of Jesus. They might have even had those conversations with Jesus. And so he addresses that here. He says, if another member of the church sins against you, isn't that a sad reality? That even here within the body of Christ, we might experience a sinful action or conversation, a hurtful word, or sometimes just a flippant word that was not intended to be hurtful but that these things can emerge in our relationships and cause a break or a fracture. And therefore, we have to address those things. And Jesus recognizes that this is the reality. But I want us to think a little bigger than what we tend to think of of another member of the church. Not just somebody else who is on the membership rolls here at Crozet United Methodist Church or the church that you are a member of. Not just somebody within the denomination of which you are a member or here in the United Methodist Church. Let's think even bigger still. Because the entire global presence of Christianity is part of the church universal. The church of Christianity that is bigger and broader than any denominational line. But even bigger than that is that God has declared in the gospel account of John, chapter 3, verse 16, that the entire world is God's. That all people are part of the family of God, even if they haven't yet recognized 
their rightful place there. And so when any person sins against us, what do we do? And Jesus says, go. Go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. And this is hard for us because this is not part of American culture. This is certainly not something that is routinely modeled in the TV shows we watch or the movies we watch. In fact, I think we'd have a lot less drama if we followed what Jesus says. But instead, Jesus is empowering the one who has been hurt. Jesus is saying to us, if someone has said or done something that hurts you, if someone has said or done something that has caused a brokenness in your relationship or it has broken your heart or it has made you question your worth and your value, if something horrific has happened to you, you should go. You don't have to sit around and wait and pray and hope that somehow miraculously the Holy Spirit will get into the heart of that person and illuminate for them how much they have hurt you and have them come to you on bended knee and beg your forgiveness. It would be nice if things happened that way. But we all know that sometimes these things happen over a tremendous course of time that it takes a long time. But here's the kicker. Sometimes people don't even recognize that they've hurt us. Sometimes people never meant for that to come out that way or they did, didn't mean for it to be received that way. And so they're unaware. We call this unintentional sin. And so they need to understand that what was said or done was a violation. It caused pain and suffering. And that can't be done unless we who have been hurt are bold to go. And so that's the first thing Jesus says. Go and point it out to them. Go and say to them, do you remember when we were gathered together last week and you said this? Do you remember yesterday when I was getting ready to leave and you completely ignored me? Whatever it was that caused us pain, we are to go and to name it, to call it out and to say, this hurt me. Not you're a horrible person, but this hurt me. And notice when we are to do that, when the two of us are alone. This is critical because the first step in finding reconciliation and restoration and broken relationships is when the two people who are fractured choose to come together. Now, it might be instituted by the one who has been hurt, as Jesus said, but the point is that we do it alone, that I don't go and call you out in front of the entire congregation in the middle of 11 o'clock worship. I don't call you out when you're out trying to have a nice meal with your family and the whole restaurant can listen in. Instead, I honor the fact that many people are hurt and humiliated when they realize they've done something wrong. And that rather than compound that, we have a conversation in privacy. Because that's something that Jesus modeled. When Jesus had to talk to somebody about something deeply personal, especially their sinfulness, Jesus chose time and time again to wait until they were alone. Jesus did this when the adulteress was thrown at his feet. Jesus did this with the woman at the well, talking about her many husbands and the life that she was living. Jesus does this often with his apostles. When they do things that are wrong or they go off the, the path that Jesus sets before them, he will wait, not in front of the crowds while he's giving the Sermon of the Mount, but he will wait until they are alone to talk to them so that they don't have to be humiliated in front of other people, thus damaging other relationships and their own self-image. 
That's very important. And that is something that Jesus models for us. But the reality is that just because you do this doesn't mean it's going to work. Jesus says if you do this and you win the member back, wonderful. Hallelujah. You too can now move past this incident, the words, the actions, the break, and be reconciled, which is what it is all about in Jesus' eyes, that we are reconciled to God and to one another. And so we would celebrate that. And instead of having to engage everybody else in our drama, we were able to handle it because the relationship was between the two of us. Jesus recognizes that sometimes this isn't going to happen in that way. That's why there are so many times where I will meet multiple times with people when we're trying to get past a time when they were hurt or when I was hurt or when someone else was hurt. There are many times where we have to kind of have multiple encounters in order to fully grasp what has happened or discern a way forward, how we're going to make sure that it doesn't happen again. This takes time. And so if it doesn't work the first time and the person refuses to listen to you, then Jesus has the next step we take. Jesus says at verse 16, but if you're not listened to, then take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And notice Jesus doesn't say, take your two staunch best friends and go because they will have your back. Instead, you're taking people to serve as witnesses that they could testify to the manner by which you were spoken to, that you spoke to the other person, the way that you went about trying to engage in a path that would lead to reconciliation. This is a really important moment for us because just as we were empowered to take those first steps and go to the person that has caused us harm, we are empowered here to choose the witnesses. Now, many of us would think about stacking the deck in our favor. Many of us would say, I should get my two best friends who don't think that I could ever do anything wrong, and then they will surely back me up. And if this person dares deny anything, they'll jump right on their case. But that's not what Jesus is telling us. Instead, we are empowered to make a prudent, judicious, and prayerfully discerned decision here. It's quite possible that if we truly are honest and authentic about wanting to be reconciled with a person that we would make a choice that was good for the other person that had done us wrong that we would pick somebody that knows and loves them that they know knows and loves them someone that would testify i know you are a good person it sounds like something just went wrong here how can we fix it because this isn't who you are and you should never be stigmatized as this forever or maybe we pick somebody who we know is very harmonious in the way that they live and interact with other people, somebody who is a peacekeeper, someone who is able to use their unique voice and perspective to draw us together rather than push us apart. Maybe it's someone who is trained in listening and hearing the things that we want to say but we can't quite articulate or helping us to get to the root of problems someone who is very good at conflict management. This is our opportunity to pick the right choice, the smart choice, the godly choice. And yet, even if we do pick one or two people who embody all of these wonderful things, it still might not work. There are many times where people come into my office and it's very clear that we're going to have one of these conversations. 
They've tried to work things out on their own, and it's just not happening. And so then we have to start having conversations about, okay, let's see how this happened. But rather than taking a posture of, okay, let me hear your cases so I can judge between the two of you, I have learned over my time from many incredible pastoral teachers that sometimes the best thing we can do is invite people to tell their story in their words, to share their experiences. And so we would say to one another, here's what I heard and felt. What were you trying to say and do? What is it that you heard and felt in that conversation? That's when we might discover and discern that the person never meant to hurt us, that it was a slip of the tongue or an ill-chosen word instead of an intention to cause pain and suffering and destroy a piece of us. That would be an incredible step towards rectifying the broken relationship rather than clinging to the pain and yearning for vengeance. So we don't take one or two witnesses with us in order to annihilate the person because they didn't listen to us when we went to them privately. But their next role will be important if things don't go well on the second attempt. Jesus says that then, if that doesn't work, if they refuse to listen, then you tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen to the church, then you let that one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Well, let's talk about what that means for a moment. So that's not, I went to you one-on-one -on -one and you didn't listen to me or acknowledge my pain and suffering and you certainly didn't apologize and you didn't try to make it better. So I brought two people with me and you wouldn't listen to them either. And so now here in front of all the church, I'm going to name names and I'm going to tell a story. That would not be what Jesus is saying. Instead, Jesus, in Jesus' day, the church was more small. It was intimate. In the beginning, it was 12 individuals. And so they needed to come together and say, is this how we're going to run our communion? Is this how we are going to function as this body of Christ? But even with 12, that can be a very difficult endeavor. And many churches have much more than 12. They may have 120, 1,200, 12,000 people. Jesus isn't inviting 12,000 people to weigh in on a disagreement between two people. And so many denominations, and the United Methodist Church is no different, have developed a way to handle that specifically. In the United Methodist Church, we have something that is mandated by our Book of Discipline called a Staff Pastor Parish Relations Committee. This is a group of our peers here at the church that specifically gather together to address these kinds of concerns. They come with a diverse background, educational experience, and in the United Methodist Church, they even have to have a diversity in age. There's a youth representative. There's a young adult representative. There are people from all walks of life, including your clergy. And so it gives us an opportunity not just to talk about what's happened between a pastor and a parishioner or a staff member and a parishioner, but also what has happened within the church. That if you need a mechanism by which we can address a bigger group who might be able to see something that we're not seeing or might be able to offer an authoritative path to reconciliation, then we have that as well. But Jesus recognizes that sometimes even after following all these steps, that some people will resist and that they might not receive what is truly being conveyed. And that is that there is a brokenness in relationship that needs to be repaired that we want to be repaired. Because brokenness between two individuals will not stay there. It will spread. 
and others will feel the need to choose sides. Others will feel the brokenness. It can be tangible in the air and in the way that two people interact or refuse to interact. And so that will infect the congregation. It will change the way the community operates. And we can't let that happen. So if there comes a time when we have exhausted all of these orders that Jesus has given to us, then something else happens. Jesus says, then it is time for them to become to you like a Gentile or a tax collector. And for many people, that sounds like a horrible thing, as if we've cast them out. But if we look at what the Bible actually says about Gentiles and tax collectors, we might find hope instead. Because reading beyond the four gospel accounts, we start to find the epistles. And the church in Jesus' name truly starts to expand and explode with people receiving God's grace when the Gentiles are invited in. And in Jesus' day, the Jews had to figure out how to live in the midst of Gentiles. They had to figure out how to engage in business with them and how to be neighbors to them, even if they didn't worship in the same way or have the exact same faith. They had to still learn to peacefully coexist. And so there is hope that if we choose to not continue down this path but leave space open for one day, God speaking to them and helping them that they may yet not just rejoin us, but they might transform us for the better. And as for tax collectors, they were part of the life in Jesus' day. They were people from within the community that the community often viewed as betraying them. That you've chosen our Gentile overlords over your Jewish brothers and sisters. And yet, even they have incredible transformative encounters. Jesus has multiple encounters with tax collectors who turn from their secular ways to embrace the religious ethics and morals that Jesus represents, including one by the name of Matthew, for whom our gospel reading today is named. So there is hope. That just because we have to stop pursuing this here and we have to leave space doesn't mean that we don't stop praying for you, doesn't mean that we don't respond when you are in need, and doesn't mean that we condemn people to never be a part of us now or in the kingdom to come. Instead, that's when we turn to the remainder of scriptures and yearn for transformative encounter with God that will bear fruit in the restoration of relationships that may have been laying fallow and broken for years, even decades. So Jesus wants us to remember that not all hope is lost, even if we ourselves don't seem to be able to get through or to make a connection or enable people to be reconciled here and now, which is what we yearn for as forgiven and loved people in his name. But the next things that Jesus has to say are often kind of picked apart and spit out among Christians in different contexts. It's very, very important right now that we recognize that they are part of this teaching about how to have a conversation to be reconciled with someone. Jesus goes on to say, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Jesus is often quoted here as talking about the authority of the church. It's certainly the opinion in the, in the Catholic Church that they have the ability to decide what is sin and that will be upheld in heaven. But let's look at it from a different perspective. 
in this context that Jesus is already talking about broken relationships between two individuals, what we discover is that how we choose to bind and what we choose to loose or forgive can have incredible ramifications, not just here in this world and in this life, but in heaven and beyond. That perhaps what we might even discover is that by offering forgiveness here, we enable somebody to encounter the kind of grace that they need from their God. That they can experience and come to believe that there are things that can be forgiven and that they themselves can be the recipients of grace. That they are not the summation of their mistakes and their sins, but instead they are the culmination of those that choose to receive God's love and forgiveness. And that changes lives it changes the world instead of making it about well i can't forgive you and so therefore god can't forgive you it becomes god has forgiven me and i'm trying to forgive you that we are setting a standard really for ourselves which is something that jesus will say in other gospel accounts that the standard by which you forgive others here is the standard by which god will judge you and so if you want to be forgiven of anything that you have ever done wrong, the things you meant to do wrong and the things that you didn't, your intentional and your unintentional sin, then you have to be willing to forgive other people their intentional and unintentional sins to you. And this is such a vital, important message for us as Christians because this is not the message we hear from the world. This is not the way that the world seeks to have their issues resolved. The world is much more about vengeance when we serve a God who says, vengeance is mine, and I have chosen not vengeance for you, but grace, and asking us to do the same. So our decisions that we make and the way we go about reconciliation have incredible, long-lasting ripple effects. And Jesus goes on to say, again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And this is truly poignant. Many churches and many Christians have said, if the two of us can just agree, we can ask God for it, and God will give us a new air conditioning unit, or God will help us to raise the money that we need for this mission project. But in this context, Jesus is saying something even more dramatic. You have two people who have been torn asunder, by words or actions, and their relationship is no longer righteous. And Jesus is saying, if the two of you can agree, then God can give you what you want. So if you gather together with the person back in step one, you say to the person, you have been in a relationship with me, and I have loved you, and you have loved me, and that is more important than the hurt that I feel right now. We need to talk about this hurt. We need to work so that it will never happen to me or to you or anyone else again. But I believe what Jesus says, that if we together here will pray and ask for this, that our relationship can be restored, that God will help us do that. If we need to overcome our language barrier, if we need to overcome the way that I talk versus the way you receive and vice versa, if we need to overcome the ways in which we have been hurt and maybe for a time participated in continuing a cycle of pain, that God can break that cycle, that God can restore us 
to the relationship that once brought us great joy. Or maybe grant us for the first time a righteous relationship that Christ came and died on the cross to bring to us. That reconciliation isn't just about us and God or us with another person that we like and love, but it's about relationships being restored beyond what we can fathom and expect. And that our reconciliation with God is in a miraculous way, miraculous way tied to the reconciliation between the other person and God. That all of these things are working together. And that we have the ability to have open conversations with each other that acknowledge perhaps this feels too big for us. And that's precisely why we should turn to God. And if we do that, God promises to be with us. Because the last thing Jesus says is something many Christians have heard. I've certainly used it a lot to cite how we worship in the United Methodist Church. Jesus says at verse 20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. I am with you. I am not just something to be thrown out in name or to be thought about as an ideal. I am present with you. And so when I was talking to the youth as we went over some of this on Wednesday, one of the incredible things that we talked about is, you know, if every step of the way we opened with prayer and we invoked Jesus to be with us, then how much more successful do you think we would be in step one or step two or step three if we acknowledged and were refocused and reminded that Jesus is with us? People tend to behave differently when they think Jesus is watching. They will behave differently if they think that Jesus is very much there and at work with us as we struggle. It is a hard work and a struggle to be in relationship and to be reconciled. And Jesus says, I don't abandon you, that, you to that. I haven't sent you out and left you. I am willing to be right there. So when you go to that person for the first time and you choose to invoke the name of Jesus Christ and open with prayer and have Jesus be a part of that, you might actually discover a life-changing reconciliation. It changes how we talk. It changes how we look at one another. It changes the very air in the room to acknowledge that Jesus is there. Christians have been using this for almost 2,000 years to talk about what happens when just two or three of us gather for worship, that somehow miraculously, even in the emptiness of this great space, that Jesus is very much here with us. And in some new way as we gather together, even over digital means, that we have not been abandoned, but that very much Jesus is still with us. So when Jesus says this, he is reminding us every step of the way that this person and you and I are in this together. We have not been forsaken. We have never been abandoned. It's so important that we keep Jesus as central, not only in our worship and in our prayer life, but in our relationships with other people. For Jesus can translate things for us and open our eyes and help us to overcome in ways that we could never do alone, that we could never do without that tangible sign of God's love and grace that is embodied perfectly in Jesus Christ. So that's what it all comes down to, is that Jesus has given us exactly a step-by-step -step process to have a conversation. Now, 
The problem is that this is not normative. It's not part of the culture of the United States. I haven't seen it anywhere else in the world. And unfortunately, it's not always the culture in the church. But it should be. And so many of us have witnessed unparalleled, painful, hurtful, violent conversations. We have seen interactions that have led to not only violence and pain and suffering, but death. And we cry out in our prayer life asking God to help make a change. Help us make a change. And Jesus has said all the way back in the gospel account of Matthew that there are going to be times where your relationships will be torn, where you won't understand each other, and even the best attempts are going to end in pain and suffering. So what do you do now? And Jesus has given us that path that way, that hope in this truth. And we have to start using it. It has to become instinctual in the church. It has to become part of who we are. Because everything that we have ever watched or learned or read has not been driving us toward this path. Most of us, when we are wronged, we first tell our family and our friends, or maybe we have a confidant, but it never stays there. And sometimes the very last person that we talk to is the one that Jesus sends us to first. And so many conversations and changing of minds for the negative, so many hours and days, years of brokenness might have been avoided if we took the power that Jesus gives us as hurt and harmed victims and chose a path of righteous relationships. And perhaps that is truly the key to changing this world. Listening to others. Letting them hear us. And choosing to let Jesus guide the next steps. Not only in our search and yearning for reconciliation, but in our lifelong journey in relationship. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.